1: Oh yeah, everybody. Welcome back. You are now tuned into High at 9 News. Thank you for joining to not only High at 9 with us, but also High Noon on the East Coast. My name is Rico Lameet. I'm the dopest dad on the street and it's Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. Today is National Houseplant Appreciation Day because the best boof is grown on windowsills down in Texas. Peculiar People Day, a day to let your freak flag fly and share how weird you exactly are consensually of course, and also poetry at work day in observance. I'd like to share a few haiku bars that I drummed up this morning. Jason smokes world's best. Dope dad follows the money high at nine news, bitch. For everybody watching, please remember to like, follow, and share. Uh, like share and follow us at high nine news across all social media platforms and beat that subscribe button down like the cops. We are live on weekdays on YouTube and Twitch audio only on clubhouse. And if you choose clubhouse, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand. If you have a brief comment on the story presented, we'll be getting things started here in just a few, but first we have this. If you want to grow some of the best weed in
0: the world, then you must start with the best genetics in the world. Go to www.dnagenetics.shop to order regular feminized or autoflower beans. All of your favorite DNA genetics cultivars such as Kosher Kush, Skywalker Kush, and oh yeah, Chocolate Truffle Shuffle. Posting more cannabis awards for their award-winning genetics than any other company in the world. Remember to go to www.dnagnetics.sh to see why our Terps don't lie.
1: Terps do not lie. But up first, it's the mink coat wearing, private jet hopping, Green Street wheeling and Did the longest continuously operating retailer in the game when not holding down presidential cannabis tourism duties of... uh, (laughs) When he's back home in West Hollywood, he's also been spotted by TMZ several occasions pop politicking around the world with leaders in London, Mar-a-Lago, and Detroit, where they call him White Gucci. Coming to the stage first, and most likely smoking on the best weed in the world, y'all know who it is, Jason Beck. Oh, yeah, everybody. Good
0: morning. Happy, happy, happy Tuesday, my friends. Today, I have a very fascinating story. From back in the days, and I randomly found this tweet and with this story, so here we go. Comes from Roger Stone, and this is from Roger Stone's words, these exact story. In the late 1950s, the U.S. State Department made jazz legend Louis Armstrong a Goodwill ambassador and underwrote a concert tour for him in Europe and Asia. On his return from the first... From the first two tours, Armstrong and his jazz entourage were waved through customs without a search based on Satchmo's ambassadorial status and, of course, his fame. But when he landed in Idlewild Airport in New York in 1958, he was directed towards the customs lines. Customs agents had been tipped off that contraband was being imported into the country, and Armstrong joined a long line of travelers lined up for inspection. Unfortunately, the jazz trumpeter was carrying three pounds of high-grade marijuana in a suitcase. Three Once Armstrong realized he was about to be busted and it would cause an enormous scandal because he was traveling on behalf of the country, he began sweating profusely. Just then, the door swings open and the vice president, Richard Nixon, in step with his security detail, swept into the room followed by a gaggle of reporters and photographers. Nixon, seeing an opportunity for a wire photo with popular Armstrong, went up to the famous jazz musician and says, Satchmo, what are you doing here? Nixon asked with surprise. Well, Pops, see Armstrong called everybody Pops back then, and says, I just came back from my Goodwill Ambassadors tour of Asia, and they told me I had to stand in line for customs. Without hesitation, Nixon grabbed both Stachmo's suitcases and says ambassadors don't have to go through customs. And the vice president of the United States will gladly carry your bags for you, Nixon said. While upon the vice president of the United States mules three pounds of marijuana through the United States customs without ever knowing it, When Nixon was told what happened by Charles McWerther, who served as a traveling aide to Nixon and who heard the story from one of the jazz musician's entourage, a startled Nixon exclaimed, Louis Armstrong smokes marijuana? Upon the jazz legend's death in 1971, President Richard Nixon recognized Louis Armstrong's incomparable contributions to Americana and his creative individuality. One of the architects of the American art form, a free and individual spirit and an artist of World War fame, his great talents and magnificent, magnificent spirit added richness and pleasure to all our lives, said President Nixon. I want to know what you guys all have to say about this, about Richard Nixon. Oh, I have. So, oh, I have so, so yeah. Why, 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 why is it Roger Stone a thing still? I mean, Roger Stone put out this thing. Roger Stone's been around for a long time, and I just found this story fascinating. You subscribe, you subscribe to his Patreon. Oh, I, God, here
2: we go. As, no.
3: as racist as we know Nixon was, um, I'm, I'm sure just like many others in his day was listening to jazz music, but we also know the prelude to that is that jazz music, musicians were responsible for Reefer Madness. and, and exactly. Nixon was very much responsible for continuing that propaganda with his war on drugs. Um, so it this story, it's it's almost like it's fake. It's Revision so hard to true. believe that this happened. This is not fake news. Okay. It seems like a tabloid run to me, but there's nobody around to prove it. So it's just like it's just I all mean, over I
0: mean, mean I mean, I mean, Roger Stone's still alive and he's he's giving accounts.
3: Yeah, nobody believes Roger story. Stone.
1: Right. When's the <laughs> last time anybody in the world believed Roger Stone, including nobody Republic believes Stone? Roger Stone. Okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm. I'm believing this story. I like it. I think,
2: I think Kanye <laughs> believes Roger Stone. I'm just putting that out there.
3: Who? Who believes? Ro- I think,
2: oh. I think Kanye is on Team Roger Stone. I'm just saying. Okay, probably. Yeah, well,
3: and, and Kanye does not count. We have given <laughs> Kanye back to y'all. Like yeah. Kanye. <laughs> and
0: you have, have given Kanye to back to <laughs> us. Yeah. <But,
3: laughs> I don't
0: know.
1: <laughs> Kanye's a champion I man. I don't know yeah, what y'all. He, talking about. he lost the Kardashian Olympics. Oh, no, for real. Who's y'all, Nicole? Who's, I didn't want him y'all? in the yeah. first
0: place, and I
3: don't yeah, want. I feel, that. I feel like Just I'm being profiled. <laughs> I feel like I'm being profiled, Nicole. Anybody but us. He belongs to anybody but us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jason,
4: what airport oh, did this Lord. supposedly happening? Where was Laguardia. It? At Laguardia.
0: Yes, 1958. Laguardia. Richard Nixon mules three pounds of marijuana in a trombone suitcase.
2: <laughs> trombone I wonder curious. if we can like verify if he was in various? New York during
3: that time. It,
0: it, it, can any well, of this? I mean, be you got to think about it. It was it was it was brick weed back then. You know what I'm saying? So yes, it's very easy to to pack three pounds of brick weed into into a lot of All things. Right.
5: I mean, it's, it's, can any of this be verified? <laughs> or
0: is this just
5: a Stone? Right.
0: I mean, yeah, yes, yes, because it was verified through, uh, through, through his travel aid, who, who was in, tipped off of the story um, from one of the jazz entourages.
2: Jason, here's the real question. Are you going to tell your travel aid that you're traveling with three pounds of weed when you travel? It, it, first
0: of all, my, my travel aid already knows what time it is <laughs> when I travel. I mean, you've traveled with me. Saman, you've been a travel aid on a couple of adventures.
2: Shit. I'm like the, I'm like the, I'm like the resident mule. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Oh
0: man, here we go. Here we go. All right, we're gonna keep it moving. That was a fun, that was a fun little story. I hope yeah, you guys, hope you one, guys that enjoyed. That yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Something, something new, something different. But coming up next, it is the dope dad himself. That's right. Rico Lamete. When Rico Lamite is babysitting, he often will sing frozen. That's right. Let it go. Let it go. He may even put on a tiara to dance around but i'll tell you what he'll do the same damn thing when he's teaching grown-ass adults how to sing at their tedx conference while they sit there and whine about all the things that they've been through and all the challenges that they've overcome and how great they are that's right it's a lovely melody brought to you by tedx (laughs) it is the dope dad himself that's right rico the meat
1: i'll tell you what jason you might have half of that, right? You know, uh, I don't need to switch it. I'm too old to be switching up for anybody. The TR part I had, right? Tiara don't hit on. My, it don't fit on my head, so you know what I'm saying? She has plenty of them on, over here, though. Just keeping it real. But anyways, my headline today is from Bloomberg by Tiffany Carey. Tilray may move into fruit and beer as cannabis legalization stalls. 2018 seems like just yesterday. Everything was looking up for a newly industrialized cannabis industry. Shady backdoor deals between illegitimate fathers of legal weed and soon-to-be former California governors lifted the one-acre capsize on cultivation, leading to the birth of mega farms and big-box corporate weed in America as we know it. The, CP, the CBK invasion had begun this. Chad's, Brad's, and Karen's, everybody. And all eyes were on Canada. America's hat seemed to be a natural fit to come down and groom a young, unrefined American cannabis business landscape right for the picking. Publicly traded uh, Canadian giants, Kronos Group, Canopy Growth, and Aurora Cannabis stock prices soared as investors speculated they'd soon dominate America too. With pro-business Trump in office, federal legalization was all but certain to be right around the corner. Then in July 19th, 2018, the unthinkable happened. Tilray made its NASDAQ debut, the first pure play cannabis company to go public on a, a major U.S. stock exchange. They'd soon become a major player globally with major operations in 10 countries, and the market loved it. Tilray IPO'd at just at 17 bucks a share and skyrocketed over the next few months to an all-time peak in September that year, just over $214. Well, that was then. A series of overconfident missteps, oversupply in major markets, and lack of legislative movement in European and American markets beat the entire industry down globally. But the crash is a lot steeper when you're as high as Tilray was. Today, it's trading at $2.76, down 93% from the historically hyped highs of 2018, with safe banking looking like yesterday's news, an aloof American president who'd rather dump hundreds of billions of dollars into proxy wars than boost his own economy, and federal legalization still a big question mark as to when it'll happen and what it'll look like, Tilray's making a pivot to finally stop years of bleeding and taking its talents, at least for now, into fruit. And beer. <laughs> in Monday's fiscal Q2 earnings call, CEO Irwin Simons said lack of U.S. political action made him believe federal legality is no longer happening in the near future for the United States. He blamed stalled European efforts, uh, his stalled European efforts on supply chain issues and, uh, caused by the Ukraine war, and Tilray plans more alcohol company purchases to build out its U.S. distro network in hopes it'll one day be used for cannabis. In a half-assed humanitarian plea on the call, Simon, uh, Simon said, there's food shortages in the world of lettuce, tomato, strawberries. If we have overcapacity, how do we start growing fruits and vegetables at some of these facilities and supply food to the world? To the world, Craig! For the article, analysts on the call questioned what kind of margins the company could get from quote-unquote branded vegetables (laughs) and whether it should uh, reduce its growing capacity instead. The company's main goal is still growing cannabis, and this would be a temporary bridge, Simon responded. Facilities could be converted back should the U.S. or Europe legalize and allow exports from Canada, and Tilray could also strike deals to cultivate for other Canadian companies. Tilray looks forward to the day when it will use all of its facilities for cannabis, but it doesn't make sense to mothball them and have them running below capacity until then. End quote. Surprising to no one, Tilray shares fell another 4% after the call. So... I ask you all, is this a smart move for Tilray rather than selling off assets, shift, um, their shift into fruits, veggies, and beer? Or will its greed and unwillingness to let go of long-term strategic real estate lead to an untimely des- demise? My name is Rico Lameet, the dopest dad on the street for Hyatt 9 News. What y'all think about this one? What do you think, Jason? Is Tilray make the right move
0: here? <laughs> I mean, Tilray got to do something. If you just saw their last numbers that came out, they got to they switch something up.
4: I would expect to see this in more companies. I don't know exactly about the fruit play, um, but I think definitely these companies, these large MSOs and folks have to figure out what to do with their assets. They're not making the money. They're barely breaking even. They can't pay their taxes. Um, And until there's legalization, which I would say conservatively is maybe five years off. Everyone who thinks it's coming next week, good luck. It is not down the road. Um, <laughs> these people have to figure out what they're going to do. And until real money is invested in trying to actually legalize instead of listening to Chuck Schumer and these stupid promises, nothing's yeah. going to happen. Yes. These, these <laughs> companies need to find uh, other ways to uh, keep their assets and be lucrative instead of just selling everything off in a fire sale.
0: Too much. We, do have, uh, we do have Dr. Felicia from the Clubhouse audience to speak on this. Do you have some on this, Dr. Felicia?
5: Yes, I do. Hey, everybody.
0: Good
5: morning. Um, It's it's a brilliant idea. It's a brilliant idea. Uh, Pabst Pabst Beer did the same thing when alcohol prohibition came in. Instead of going bankrupt, they started doing cheese and had to eventually got sued by Kraft cheese or Kraft products and had to start paying them a licensing fee for the pasteurization, uh, pasteurization process. Uh, they were doing on the cheese. So uh, beer, their beer company stood the time and waited till the prohibition was over. And then they were able to jump back into action. So it's a brilliant idea. Very smart to pivot.
0: Interesting. I think yeah. I wonder if this was kind of a press release, Dr. Felicia. Kind of just a press release for Tilray to try to go out and raise more capital because they need some money right now.
6: I mean, yeah, I feel like they've they've had their fair shake at spending
7: money right and
6: (laughs) screw the pooch a bit, you know?
0: Yeah.
7: Yeah, At first glance, it doesn't really look like a press release. Um, Usually press releases, they um, give a little sprinkle into a next story, and this doesn't give me that. This gives me bad news. (laughs) But in general, um, I'm I'm with – um, you know, um, the, the what uh, you know because I feel like you have to do something with your assets. Personally, I feel that if you were to focus on this endeavor and do it well, that could be a PR story because it, you're still growing. And if you're going to be able to pivot, if you plan to pivot to cannabis after really doing a lot in fruit and beer, Um, And you can make the story that you were a good grower and a good company. You can go back to cannabis and reuse those assets for that purpose. So I, I don't see it as that much of a negative, but I think that ultimately, you know, they had to make a change.
1: And they've they've been gobbling up uh, beer assets left and right too. They've been buying a bunch of, uh, in cannabis friendly areas, they've been buying up a bunch of uh, um, uh, beer companies that have been bargains recently, Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. in
2: Colorado. I mean, there's. You little- know, in, in
7: cannabis marketing, there's always so much parallel between alcohol and cannabis. You know, sometimes it it's it's just not the same. You know, that's something that right. I'm, I'm always having to remind our sales agency that it's not the same path. You no. know, ca- alcohol and cannabis. However, there are some similarities. I mean, you know- there's, the similarities
6: are in regulatory more than anything, and like i guess marketing techniques but ultimately we're so much more overregulated and have none of the same access that alcohol industry does so it's hard to compare i mean it's just the regulatory system and in, I, don't know. I, I,
4: we I agree with around,
6: but that's
5: it i
4: agree with Susie. i think there are a lot more similarities we're just not we're in the period now which would have been prohibition for alcohol companies I mean, so we're not at that regulatory position yet. We're at the start of where alcohol was back then.
0: Even though I mean, no, we are I mean, being cannabis, way more regulated.
2: Cannabis can only be compared to beer. It's it's a craft product that you have to grow something, and then you have to extract it, or you have to ferment it, or you have to process it to get your final product. I mean, there there's there's actually, like, there's only one similar industry, and it is beer. And that's all these big companies are going to end up being just like all the beer companies, the smaller think, guys are gonna be the craft guys, and then they're gonna be big, huge conglomerates that are selling the mids. The mids. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think I think it is the closest the but yeah,
1: at the same time. Like I got cannabis is not poison.
2: Yeah, but also it's like, what do you think people are gonna have like like cannabis as a crop has yeah. gone down, down in, in value, but like right. are still pretty high. So anybody who's growing indoor weed is gonna be able to switch easily to some other indoor crop, some other tempered, you know. Control a climate-controlled crop like a microgreen or lettuce. I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's what's going to be a lot of the assets, as we call them, these these huge warehouses, sixty thousand square feet that are full of infrastructure, conduit for electricity, lighting, racking, whatever. I mean, someone's right. going to step in there and say, "Look, I could I could grow my my micro cilantro, and then I could sell it to these chefs in New, in New York City if I have to." I, mean, I can way. dig it,
1: man. I can dig it. And I think it is an interesting uh, a pivot. Well, it would be interesting to see if other companies follow suit, too. We've got to keep it going because we've got a full deck on hands, to, on hands today. And um, coming up next, this spicy redheaded conservatives got Mayflower roots and the long form Ellis Island backed paperwork to back it up. She's become well-known in D.C. circles over the years for cooking up bipartisan excellence in the kitchen and slapping down liberal policies on K Street. Up next, it's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and Hyatt 9 News' very own Washington insider. Y'all give it up for Gretchen Gilly.
4: Good afternoon. My headline today is coming from the Washington Post. um, And it's actually, it's an obituary. um, And I wanted to bring this gentleman's uh, contributions to the cannabis industry uh, to like, because I don't know if many folks outside of Washington know who he is. Uh, Edward Weidenfeld, ex-Reagan attorney who soared in cannabis industry, dies at 79. Edra- Edward Weidenfeld, a Republican lawyer and general counsel to Ronald Reagan's 1980 presidential campaign, who later became a cannabis entrepreneur and a critic of the war on drugs, including First Lady Nancy Reagan's "Just Say No" campaign, died December 29th at his home in Washington. He was 79. The cause was complications of Parkinson's disease, his son Nick Weidenfeld said. Mr. Weidenfeld, who worked in various capacities for six presidents and also had a successful career as an estate lawyer, became interested in cannabis following his diagnosis with Parkinson's in 2002, after which he began researching treatments that might slow the disease and provide relief. Though physicians are still debating cannabis's effectiveness as a treatment for Parkinson's and other diseases, Mr. Weidenfeld said he found relief with the drug. In 2015, he helped launch Phyto Management, which sells medical-grade cannabis and edibles in Washington under the name District Cannabis. Mr. Weidenfeld's second career in the cannabis business made him a cultural oddity in two worlds: High Society Washington, where he and his wife Sheila Rob Weidenfeld, the former press secretary for First Lady Betty Ford, were fixtures for decades, and the rush for gold medical marijuana industry populated by young people who wouldn't have voted for Reagan had they been alive. But Mr. Weidenfeld won over both worlds. As his cocktail party friends grew older and were looking for alternative medical treatments, Mr. Weidenfeld became surprised by the number of old political associates who've asked me if I could hook them up. Meanwhile, the cannabis world admired him for criticizing harsh drug laws and conservatives who blocked medical marijuana use. In podcast appearances and interviews with industry publications, Mr. Weidenfeld said the Just Say No campaign and the broader almost nuclear battle on drugs was a mistake, particularly with marijuana. It demonized a substance which had tremendous therapeutic potential, he told the Cannabis Business Times in 2020, and was used as a means of social control over people of color and immigrants. While working as an attorney for the Reagan campaign and later advising his administration, Mr. Weidenfeld said he was opposed to the harsh policies, but kept his opinion to himself. His views were not at all surprising, given his upbringing. Edward Weidenfeld was born July 15, 1943, in Akron, Ohio. His parents were small business owners who variously sold jewelry, appliances, and other household goods. He was a good student enchanted by the English language. Up until his death, he could recite T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock from Memory. In 1961, Mr. Weidenwald en- enrolled at the University of Wisconsin at Madison, where he majored in political science. He was active in civil rights protests. He later traveled to Alabama to participate in the 1965 Selma to Montgomery march, as well as other extracurricular activities favored by students. Mr. Weidenfeld told the Lit and Lucid Cannabis podcast in 2020 that you could get beer in the student union and weed. Not as regular campus varietal, but if you set out to find some, you probably would, which might help explain how he acquired the views that he kept from his Reagan colleagues. It was not an anti-weed sentiment that changed, he told the podcast, but it was a respect for law that limited my personal exposure, and that's probably enough said on that subject. Mr. Weidenfeld graduated in 1965 and attended law school at Columbia University in New York, where he met Sheila Robb, the daughter of Maxwell Robb, who served as White House Cabinet Secretary for Dwight D. Eisenhower and was Reagan's ambassador to Italy. They married in 68, the same year he received his law degree. After working as a TV producer, Mr. Weidenfeld's wife was hired in 1974 as Betty Ford's press secretary. Her connections in the Republican Party helped Mr. Weidenfeld ascendance in politics, beginning in 1972 when he served as counsel and staff director for the House Committee on Interior and Insular Affairs. Eight years later, he became general counsel to Reagan's campaign. Mr. Weidenfeld, like many Washington insiders, bounced in and out of government throughout his career. He was working as an estate lawyer when he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Cannabis, he said, relieved his symptoms, especially the anxiety he felt over the disease's debilitating progression. When you've got a degenerative disease and there's something that makes you laugh and takes your mind off the disease, that's what's medically beneficial. Mr. Weidenfeld's self-medicating turned into a business by happenstance. In 2010, at his son Nick's 30th birthday party, he met Andrus Kirshner, who had a degree in sustainable agriculture from the University of Maine and cultivated medical-grade cannabis at a warehouse in California. Kirshner wanted to start a medical marijuana company in the D.C. area, and Mr. Weidenfeld, now looking to wind down his private law practice, was an ideal partner with decades of experience navigating the corridors of government. After co-founding what became District Cannabis, Mr. Weidenfeld and Kirshner expanded into Maryland. Kirshner said Mr. Weidenfeld was active in every aspect of the business from growing to marketing. He was like an elder statesman when he walked in the room. In addition to his wife of Washington, Mr. Weidenfeld is survived by his son, Nick, and another son, Daniel, both of Los Angeles, a sister and three grandchildren. His sons became TV producers, and Nick was formerly president of programming for Vice TV, which produced a cooking with cannabis show called Bong Appetit. In 2017, Mr. Weidenfeld and his family appeared on an episode featuring a Shabbat dinner prepared by cookbook author Joe Nathan, matzo ball soup, challah, and roasted chicken, all infused with various forms of cannabis. Uh, He is a gentleman that is well-known in Washington circles. I don't know how well-known he is outside of D.C., uh, but that there are many folks in Washington who have to sadly play the game of politics and stay silent at times, but there is a great love of this cannabis, and folks should understand that uh, there are ways to get things done other than growing illicitly on a hill on the mountains in California. This is Gretchen for Hyatt Night News.
1: Yeah, you know, but uh,
3: there's uh, certain things that rich white men can do that others
4: just right. can't. And the majority of, of
3: legacy growers are not rich white men. And so, I, you know, I, I love that cannabis helped him um and right. he used it medicinally. I, I, I wish he would have been more vocal about it, I think. I mean, I guess it was like known, but it was like an unspoken unknown that they just knew right. that he used it because it helped with his disease. but um i mean he he you know benefited um because he had the money and he had the resources to be able to invest in the space well now and i would
4: say like he said he did not speak out when he was in the administration back in 1980 and i can see that but in 2002 yes he's been pushing cannabis for the past 20 years um, and I'm, to be- I'm,
1: I'm torn- i'm torn i'm torn on it, and i'm always going to be torn on it because you know everybody has their own story they got their own background you know i don't i can't act like i lived in their shoes uh however um you know what he has done good later on in life, but people died because of the shit that he stayed silent about yeah. period and not i just then i just then i just
5: hear yeah, that he participated in the civil rights movement and was you know marching for rights too so he did
1: some good he did he did good he did some good at the end of the day i will talk shit and and Uh, (laughs) be be talking shit about him i'm like like, at the end of the day you have to
0: be able to allow people to evolve always people change people grow you know you don't think the exact same way when you did where you were a kid
4: I don't, ahead, I don't Gretchen. support this, this concept, this idea in this industry that if you are no. not all balls in activists, you know, willing to die for everybody and their cousin, that you don't care. I mean, no, it's I, not that. that mean, it's, me it's, nuts. Not, it's not that.
1: It's not that at, not that at all. People it's, it's, have it's, it's different
4: that. relationships with the plant, and are willing to push it forward in different ways. Yeah,
2: yeah but this guy uh, was part uh, of the administration that enacted the Drug Abuse Act in '86, and if you wanted to memorize something you should probably memorize that and for, for for you to say gretchen that like you know that that's how it is that's how politics is look these are these are people that are like supposed to help the citizenry and for the mm-hmm. silent that doesn't help anybody that helps them. that helps and, that helps yeah and like
1: nicole and like nicole said like, like to be in that position i'm glad he could be in that position because so many of us don't have the, uh, the we don't have the privilege to evolve right we're just written off for the rest of our lives because of mistakes we made when we were minors Right, so you just gotta keep it, uh, keep it from that perspective as well, and you'll understand. Like, I'm always gonna be torn on shit like this. Like, yeah, they did great work, like later on in their life, but when they were young and they were silent when shit went down, like, was that a commendable thing? It's just like, uh, um, what's the well, name, maybe- uh, um, Dick Cheney? Like, Dick Cheney before he was uh, anti-LGBTQ uh, before he found out his daughter was lesbian. Like, and then he's like, oh, I mean, and,
0: he, and he still didn't speak I out. Mean, he, paying, uh, he still didn't right? speak out under the Bush yeah. administration. He said he said straight up like that's not, that's the position of the administration. There's nothing I can do about right. it. That was basically his response to that. Right.
7: So, I I'm think that it can't it. help but to you know reflect on um, the comment you said about, you know, activists like not everyone, not everyone can, Thanks. you know, can can go hard and become full activists. I think that activism sometimes isn't so much of a choice. I think, like we touched on before, um, the privilege one gets to stay silent, right? I think mm-hmm. activism. A lot of folks are pushed to be that way. A lot of folks really are on the line, and it is life or death, and they have they have no choice but to speak out. Um, yeah. So I think that you know, speaking out or not speaking out is definitely a choice, and it's a it comes from a stance of privilege. I think he made that choice to protect himself, um, but knowing, you know, that people not in the same position can, um, you know, are benefiting but are being demonized for it. And he was definitely in the position of privilege to to stay as silent as he was. But you know, there was still good from it, right? There was still good that he did provide. And I think, um, you know, after his death, you know, we're still talking about it, and I think that is going to have a lasting legacy.
0: I mean well, and what... I
4: think one other thing I I'd like to say and I know we got to move along is that I think we also need to look at the times in which people lived and okay. what the political climate for some of these things were. We're talking about 1980. When I got into the cannabis industry in 2014, I had pe- I had plenty of people in Washington tell me they could no longer talk to me, they could not associate with me that I was dead to them now that I was in cannabis. And that is shit 40 years later i mean can you imagine what it was like (laughs) if this guy keeping quiet kept him in the room and kept him a part of the decision and i know that people don't see the value in that but that's i
0: was gonna touch on that that's exactly how many people people in nazi
1: germany were silent in the so room, it's Hitler.
0: Yeah, it's right. Rico, Rico, this, is, this is totally, totally different off, off the topic of what we're saying, Rico. But no, the reality that, of it is, yeah, into it, into it, the room, it is, hold on, hold on. Because the reality of it is, this is that sometimes there's key people that are trying to make moves that actually make better things for those types of things to actually happen. And those people have to be in the room and they have to remain yeah. undercover because otherwise if they get exposed in certain ways, they'll be castized and yeah, rejected yeah. and kicked out of the room and unable to steer the ship in any way whatsoever and have any influence on anything.
2: Yeah. John Boehner is a perfect example. John Boehner, look. Or
1: was, uh, any of the Republicans in the, in Donald Trump's fucking administration, right? No,
2: he was pre, he was, John Boehner was pre Donald Trump, but he was.
1: John Boehner was pre Donald Trump and John Boehner was, was the reason that the Roar and amendment was able,
0: was able to go up for a bill up up for a vote in the house he was the first house speaker to allow that to go um for for a floor vote yeah and so we do have to commend him for that okay one, and we have to allow people the ability to change but we got to run this commercial thank you so much for that those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker or its followers. The statements made do not constitute legal or accounting advice. And our speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country area or territory and or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. Our sponsors do not imply or constitute any endorsement by us, the expression or any opinion whatsoever of the part of any speaker on stage. If you are an easily offended person, then probably the show is not for you. And maybe you should vote the exact opposite way of what way you typically vote. (laughs) Flying into LAX and you want to taste some of the best weed in the world? Then stop by LAXCC, the closest dispensary to LAX, located at 8332 Lincoln Boulevard and open from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. seven days a week. Always make LAXCC your first stop when you touch down in LA and score like a winner. And don't forget to tell them I sent you and mention like to get high at nine for ten percent off
1: your full order. Now, this patient, plant medicine advocate, and founder of Purple Plant Magic does it all. She's no longer Roz McCarthy's right hand on the left (laughs) coast. (laughs) Yes, she is. Welcome, marijuana. She's not either the, the regional director, the, the, the national, the global director, right? Yeah. Global yeah. director of all Black people in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah, I'm,
5: I'm laughs>
1: Our go yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. 88 Las Vegas's Encyclopedia Wednesday mornings, an outspoken supporter and regional chair of the Global Purple Lives Matter initiative, headquarters in, headquartered in Clark County, Nevada. Up next, y'all give it up for Nicole.
3: Thank you so much, Rico, for that lovely introduction. Um, Yes, I am now National Program Director for M4MM, uh, my fam. So shout out to uh, my M4MM family. But this story today um, is about Curaleaf um, and its corporate social responsibility initiative. Uh, So it's cannabis companies, Curaleaf's first impact report shows strong equity commitment. Through its Rooted Good initiative, Leaf prioritizes sharing wealth and opportunities with those disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. Sounds good. Um, it was written by Anoa Changa. It does not sound like a press release. I read through it. Um, it did not read like a press release. Uh, but of course, the timing is interesting with the news that came out about Leaf last week um, and and their connections to Oligarchs. Uh, but two years ago, um, so this this. Um, program started over two years ago. After the launch of Rooted in Good, News One interviewed Leaf's vice president of corporate social responsibility, Khadijah Tribble. So they've just been sitting on this story for two years. Uh, Interesting. Founder of a cannabis equity and policy nonprofit, Tribble explained that Curaleaf grounded its social responsibility work in three pillars, diversity, equity, and inclusion, social equity, and environment sustainability. Curaleaf recently released its first impact report, looking at how its equity work is unfolding. Curaleaf expressly states that through the Rooted in Good initiative, the company prioritizes resources for social equity throughout the industry and sharing the wealth and opportunities with those disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. Raheem Updah, director of corporate social responsibility at Curaleaf, spoke with News One about what corporate social responsibility means to the to the company the impact report can be found in this article i think it's an interesting read you should read it um so the report tell, talks about what has happened over the last two years csr is about aligning the resources of a company to benefit not just the company but the populations of people that they serve the communities that they're working within and the employees that work at the company up said, it's about trying to make sure that we're doing good for all these stakeholders." And not just doing good for just shareholders. At the end of the day, it is about trying to figure out how we bring value to everyone through our work, through our company. Part of this work includes capsule collections, highlighting diverse brands and a dedicated supplier diversity program. Through its 420 Diverse Suppliers by 2025 program, Rooted and Good has partnered with Black-owned cannabis brands like rolling bouquet, shout out to them, a specialty rolling paper company. We have a history of inequitability allocated resources in this country. And that is only exacerbated when you have a cash intensive industry that people are looking to enter, he said. Until there is access to banking, traditional loans, being able to go to your local small business office and ask for help opening a cannabis business, it will be more difficult for social equity Equity to be realized for my own for minority ownership to be realized. Um, you know, my my I have mixed feelings about Cureleaf. Um, this rooted in good initiative sounded good when it came out two years ago. Um, and, and full disclosure, and for MM of course was able to uh, facilitate some of its programs using this this grant that was given being given away by Cureleaf. Uh, but I also realize over the last two years that um no program is perfect (laughs) and not even ours right we um we've had our bumps and we've learned along the way on how to make it better and how to get better and how to serve our community better because at the end of the day that's what it's about Um, so not trying to do a shameless plug but um i think that uh cure relief is trying to fix its um uh, let's say, it's perspective within the community uh, and try to have better headlines. And I, and I think that this was a piece that did just that. So, uh, but I appreciate the report. It's an interesting read. If you have time, you should read it and see who benefited over the last couple of years um, from some of this, this funding.
0: <laughs> oh man, who benefited? I'll tell you what. Who benefited? Um, uh, A- Adam, can you throw up? Can you throw up? I, there, there's some pictures because uh, Cureleaf's logo is super interesting. I want to see if uh, anyone can tell me <laughs> you know those look similar. Once you see it, you can't unsee it.
3: Oh wow!
1: So now put that shit on. Put that shit on. Eight chan.
3: I have not yeah. seen this before.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Oh, so now God. I am really wondering, you guys, I'm really oh, wondering if, if Abramovich told Boris, he said, <laughs> okay, I give you money, okay? But, but you must use this logo, my wife Bianca design."
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
0: I just wonder, what do you guys think? Yes or no? <laughs> I think Adam. I think I think we should do a Twitter poll, Adam. You you
1: you know you know these these, these diversity and inclusion reports are coming from Curly from from Weed mass, like these large MSOs. I'd like to you know like do a little cross references uh, between them and see if there's any discrepancies in data from them. And I'd like to do some uh, you know uh, pull some data from some grassroots organizations, see if there's actually. Uh, a, Correlation between those because um you gotta follow the money and you gotta take it with a grain of salt. That stuff is coming from the people who are actually benefiting from the industry who have five year plus runways and a uh, mountain ass loads of cash. You know that they, they to put out these reports, is it really them doing good or is it because they need to do good because they're, they are they're need so PR. Bizarre?
3: Absolutely. Right. And another thing is there's two different types of corporate sponsorships um, out there for for nonprofits. There's mm-hmm. ones that want to give you the money and they trust that, you know what you're doing because you've proven that through your record and the work and the service you've done to the community. Or they are trying to tell you and. um uh, and, and tell you everything that you can do with the money. So they're, right. they're trying to tell you what to do versus letting you do the work that needs to be done for the community. Um, and, and you know, they, there's two different kinds and there's ones that are more supportive and then there's others that are not. They're doing it for the PR.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and, and we gotta we gotta keep it a buck, keep it a buck too. Like, like there's there's no silver bullet out there, like, like one thing that works for everybody. And the truth of the matter is, like, many of the people that would benefit from these social equity programs, if they were to work, like, they've never run businesses. You know, they don't have the business acumen. They don't have the the, the background of you know paying your taxes, like, like having an accountant, like having everything. In motion, and the industry is just going forward at breakneck speed to, it's is leaving them. So this is why I always say, even though Gretchen is one hundred percent against it, we we need to talk about re- reparations so we can forge oh, our own path. Like, oh, like you have too many people that are like, oh, I'm going to make it in the cannabis industry. I'm create generational wealth. I think that ship is past. It's, it's it's sailed oh, away. Number one, number
4: one, I'm. Let me clarify, I'm not against reparations. I just live in reality and know it will never happen. So I'm not wasting my energy on bullshit. I can't even get these guys to give you a bullshit. banking bill. You think they're going to give you reparations? What the fuck? Yep.
1: You, know, you know what? People people will not riot over a banking bill. And if, they, if the black and brown communities continue to be oppressed away at the level that they are being right now, you will probably see motherfuckers get burned down, shot up. And when it, it's nothing to burn down and shoot up in our neighborhoods, guess where they're coming next? That's what happens. Because there is no economic upturn for black communities when you have billionaires be- and they're not, playing, not paying their fair share, not paying taxes, and they're continuing to eat off of this. Like I we, mean, I mean, you, this, about
5: the you think this about industry
4: that. is really going to riot for cannabis?
1: No,
5: Have I'm you seen kidding. any I'm, cannabis I'm about protests? All the people- I'm talking they're about all the people, from,
1: in city. <laughs> you know, from city to city, from state to state. All these people who have been lied to by people in power, saying, "Oh, you can make it." <laughs> or you, or you, did you live in this zip code? From this point, from the from this point to that point, yeah. you can have generational wealth. How many people actually are getting through and getting those licenses? How many people no, are they're getting? They're getting hosed. Money. Yeah. Yes. And
0: they're getting
1: They're going into further debt than they were before. Exactly. They're getting their time wasted, and it's a bunch of bullshit. You know, what, you know what will put money in their pockets? Cash fucking reparations.
2: Listen, Period. Here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. People like Cure Leave a bad taste in everyone's mouth because what it takes in this business is not business acumen. It's connections to money. Yep. And when you get money, you can get to the top and you can basically lose your ass and you can still stay at the top because you need so much cash to be in this business and in this game at that level. For the small guys, the social ec- applicants that just want to run one store or a small vertically integrated business i mean look i mean to be honest the the some of the best business guys are some of the guys on the street that didn't go to harvard that didn't go to an ivy league and they're you know they're able to create crazy conglomerations of you know basic you know business uh on the street because that's simple it's economics and one plus one always equals two but when you're a Boris, when you're a Boris, when you're a Abramovich, like you can just kind of willy nilly do whatever. And when you have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars invested or tens of millions of dollars invested, it makes a huge difference. Period.
1: You never have to turn a profit either.
6: Well, and and just speaking as a company, I have a licensed company that is considered social equity in the city of Sacramento, and we have received grant money, we've received loan money, but the mere fact is, is that Even at $250,000 in grants and loans, that's still just like a little teeny tiny drop in the bucket. And in no way, shape or form, like you could hand me six licenses because I qualify for social equity, but can I lift those businesses? And the answer is no. The answer is no. You can. can My partner partner, Mindy is getting ready to open a dispensary here really soon. And it's like the worst possible timing to open a storefront in our city. So
4: how is that a blessing?
6: I don't
5: yeah.
4: know. Social Great. equity is not going to save this industry. You want to save this industry? You need banking. You need access to capital. You need yes, money. Exactly. You don't need a handout. We That's also right. need to be taxed-
0: Properly, right. yeah. We also need, to yeah.
4: Like normal
6: we need to, we need to, we
0: need to eliminate 280 e But we got to keep this moving. Thank yeah. you so much you. for that, everyone. Coming up next, he's a cannabis patient, an advocate, and an industry veteran, boasting over 14 years in the regulated market, starting off in Colorado. And he's a product formulation specialist that reminds all women to say hello again. On top of it. He makes some of the most amazing hydrocarbon solvents in the world that have even the rosin boys amazed and all thinking that it actually is rosin, as we've seen in a few different events. That's right. It is none other than the Saman Rosani.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Hello, hello people. Today we have, a, a, you know, an interesting article about enforcement, uh, you know, from our from our neighbors to the east, Connecticut. So here we go from Bob Wilson how Connecticut state police plan to catch those driving while under the influence of marijuana, Hartford, Connecticut. If a driver is operating a vehicle while under the influence of alcohol, the traffic stop is relatively straightforward. But if an officer administers a breathalyzer test to someone who has used cannabis, the driver will blow a zero as we all know. Instead, police must lean on science to determine if someone is under the influence of cannabis. After someone has been arrested, police call call in a drug recognition expert who then uses a 12-step process to determine what drug someone may be under the influence of, according to Sergeant Christine Geltema with the Connecticut State Police. Officers may also rely on A-RIDE, which stands for Advanced Roadside Impaired Impaired Driving Enforcement, as a field sobriety test for cannabis. In Connecticut, drivers have up to five can have up to five ounces of marijuana in their vehicles. However, that has to stay in their glove box or trunk. As recreational marijuana sales become legal in the state on Tuesday, driving while under the influence is something law enforcement officers will be on the lookout for. Doctors at the Yale School of Medicine suggest small, slow doses, even when, or I'm sorry, slow, small doses when using recreational marijuana, even if you're an experienced user. Unlike alcohol, THC can be smoked, eaten, or absorbed through the skin. Each of those methods change the intensity and the length of the high. So someone who is used to thinking about marijuana as having effects that last maybe 45 minutes or an hour by smoking, and then they think the same applies to consuming an edible, Dr. Deepak Cyril D'Souza said. It's very different because the body absorbs and metabolizes it differently. So the effects can last much longer. He said there is... He said there hasn't been much research about what happens if a driver smokes marijuana and then gets behind the wheel. We all know. Someone may have one drink and think one drink is fine and then smoke a little weed, which in itself may be fine, but the combination of the two may may have additive effects or synergistic effects on driving, D'Souza says. Whether under the influence of alcohol or marijuana, the penalties and dangers of DUI are the same. That's Saman Rizzani reporting for High Nine News. So this is a big
1: congrats to Connecticut, too. We got to start with that, too, man. Big congrats to Connecticut. Yeah, big,
2: big congrats. But rich, this has been a topic day. for so long. I mean, we've talked about this. And look, they have, like, consultants, drug recognition experts. I mean, right. hold, on. Getting, hold on, hold get,
0: on, hold Chris, on. Chris Eggers, who's on the show on Mondays, was a DRE. And I got pulled over one time. And the cop told me that, that I had smoked weed because my tongue was green. <laughs> and these DREs are, are, are taught that if you smoke weed, your tongue turns green.
6: That's crazy. It what is. if you ate a Starburst or like some kind of candy right before that? Like, come on. Don't, I mean, first don't of all, the smoke exactly. is now green.
0: I, I just, trust me, I'm as, I'm as baffled by it too. But all I can tell you is that if you do smoke <laughs> cannabis and drive, make sure you don't have like a sour apple charms blow pop right before
1: you get pulled over. <laughs> I mean, I was gonna take it somewhere That will like make that. your tongue yeah, green.
6: It's yeah. Slurpy. Yeah,
1: that makes your tongue green too. But uh.
2: <laughs> I mean, I just love, I just love how they're coming up with these 12, 12 step, you know, recognition you know, efforts to figure out what, what people are on. I mean, you know, look, I mean, do they do the same thing for prescription medicine? I know prescriptions make people fucking nuts. So, I mean, is there like some kind of recognition document or some SOP that they have to recognize that someone's taking like Ambien or something like that? I mean, it's, it's just kind of, it's just kind of like, you know, an ongoing kind of bullshit thing. I like the law they need so, something so, so to spend these,
1: their money on instead of the community, instead of giving like money back to the community.
6: Yeah. Rico, until we Rico. have an actual reliable in the field test, a device that is but, been but tested time and time again but that how? can somehow magically detect when this person consumed cannabis and did it happen within the last sixty minutes before they drove.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, good luck. Yeah, I think okay. I think by the time, another time they get a reliable machine it'll be like yeah. 5 years from now and all the cars going to be autonomous anyways. You might as well smoke and hop in the back of your autonomous. <laughs> <car>. <laughs> Rico, hold on, hold on Rico. Rico, these are called Rico, these forget. are called
6: How long have cars existed and weeds been around? We've been smoking and driving for, <laughs> for how long?
5: Exactly. I, 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 I think,
0: Rico, hold on. These, these these guys are called DRES, right? Drug Recognition Experts, right? Just so, do you, you think know, that, do you think that before their shift, like they all play, it's Dre Day
1: <laughs> before they go out? The motherfucking DRE, keep your yeah, exactly.
0: DRE. They're getting they get they get hyped. They get hype in the in the locker room before they go and hit the beat. But we Absolutely. we got to move, Rico. You ready?
1: Let's it. Uh, oh, we have a new, we have a new one. I need the bio. No, 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 no. You're on Mandy. Oh shit, my bad, my bad, my yeah, bad, my come. bad. I'm coming, it's I'm coming. Be all right, you guys, we're getting, we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there. All right, so up next, up next, we have. There we go. Northern California-based pop product extraordinaire and serial canapreneur canna, uh, known for blazing trails and doobies alike at Kamiya, canagram, Canamami.org, and the Women's Canna Awards Competition, an Emerald Cup edibles judge that knows no boundaries forever searching the globe for the perfect cannabis and psychedelic ex- edible experience. A restless crusader for female entrepreneurship on a mission to show the world cannabis motherhood and executive lifestyle do, in fact, go together. Coming to the stage next, y'all know who it is, Mandy Tingler.
6: Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Today's article comes from Arizona Central, and this is a follow-up to a story that we've talked about in the past, but it's the closure of a very important precedent-setting case for women who use cannabis during pregnancy, and this is a cause that's near and dear to my heart. I also wore my Hug Dealer shirt today because I'm so excited about this one. The headline is, Pregnant woman uses medicinal cannabis does not belong on child abuse registry, Supreme Court says. An Arizona woman who used medicinal cannabis to combat morning sickness during her pregnancy will have her name removed from the state's child abuse registry. The order from the Arizona Supreme Court on Thursday <clears throat> means Lindsay Rigell will no longer be listed on the confidential registry, which limited her job prospects since she was placed on it in 2019. It also could have broader implications as medical cannabis use is likely to be treated legally as a form of child neglect. It's so magnificent, Rajel's attorney, Julie Gungle, said of the single page order from the high court. My client has been suffering for four years fighting the uncertainty of this case. The Supreme Court declined to accept an appeal from the state's Department of Child Safety, with de- which defended its decision to list Ragell on the registry after her newborn in February of 2019 tested positive for cannabis. The department was on the losing side of a unanimous decision from the Arizona Court of Appeals last April. The three-judge panel found Ragell's cannabis use was lawful and did not amount to child neglect. Rigel worked for DCS at the time of her pregnancy and found herself not only accused of child neglect, but also out of a job. Neglect and and abuse charges can trigger a person's placement on the registry, which employers use as part of background checks on staff who work with vulnerable children and adults. Anyone placed on the list remains on it for 25 years and has prompted critics to label it as, quote, a blacklist. Ragell argued that she had a medicinal cannabis card issued by her doctor who knew she was pregnant. Ragell said she used the substance to ease morning sickness symptoms. The appeals court noted that Arizona's Medicinal Marijuana Act says cannabis use must be considered the equivalent of the use of any other medication under the direction of a physician and concluded Ragell did nothing wrong. That ruling last year reversed a string of previous legal decisions that had found Ragell had neglected her child. Rajel was not immediately available for comment Thursday, but in an interview last year, she said her son was doing well and that since being placed on the registry, she was having a hard time finding a job. Gungle said that Thursday's order should make it easier for Rajel to find work. It also sets a higher standard for DCS if it wants to claim neglect when a pregnant woman uses medicinal marijuana under the rules established by state law, she said. For example, DCS would have to prove marijuana was irresponsibly put in a child's harm's way, she said. This is of national import, Gungle said. While other states have medicinal cannabis issues related to child welfare cases, none of them have won a court ruling as clear that handed up by Arizona Court of Appeals, she said. Dozens of groups filed a friend of the court brief in support of Rigel from National Advocates for Pregnant Women, the Academy of Prenatal Harm Reduction, and the National Coalition for Child Protection Reform, numerous doctors, and the comedian actress, Amy Schumer, who has spoken out about marijuana use during pregnancy. So guys, this is huge. This is a huge piece in history for women. This is a huge moment for us to be taking back our rights, our bodies, And legislation is now backing it. So if you are pregnant and you need to manage any sort of anything, go get that medical card to cover your ass, please. And then feel empowered. This
3: is Mandy at High at Nine.
5: Thank you, Mandy, for that uh, story. And I'm so happy for this mother. I don't know if there's any attorneys in the audience, but I wish that she could turn around and sue for loss of income,
6: slander, emotional
5: pain and suffering. That's what I wish for her.
6: She probably will. I mean this is she she has every right to go back and sue for these things. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago we had an article shared about a firefighter who was um, taken off of the job and sued and won and not only got a big fat settlement but also returned to his job.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: real quick, Dr. Dreyer's research is fascinating. Thank you, Nick Bradley, for bringing this up um, and and making sure that I add this to my reading list today. I had not heard of it before, but Dr. Melanie Dreher, D-R-E-H-E-R, look that up, folks. Um, it's a very interesting read, um, and it's something that you should have in your arsenal as an advocate whenever somebody talks about what about the children. Yes, yeah. indeed
0: the last
6: big foundation. big legislation y'all put a pin in that one and save it because it's going to be important for you to share.
0: yes oh yes yes and coming up next thank you so much for covering that mandy and and thank you dr felicia for, for 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 sourcing that story and making sure we were able to present it uh coming up next we have a brand new member on the team she's a brand partner at Humo Cannabis, where she oversees brand development and social media marketing and sales. She's a Latina entrepreneur, storyteller, and cannabis advocate. And Susie leads the pioneering Mexican-American-owned craft cannabis company's commitment to providing providing meaningful representation in an industry that has caused disappropriate harm to Latino communities. She was also named as a cannabis power player, as 40 under 40, And she's also the owner of Humo Humo Glass, an American glass company. It is our first time having her up with us today. It is Suzy Placencia.
7: Hi there. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So uh, today's news story comes to us from thestreet.com. Basically, it is gathering data on how popular weed is, which is, you know, really interesting because popularity, how do you measure that? I think they're using an aggregate of data from uh, sales to really kind of dictate um, how popular weed is. Um, they're saying that at least one state has a record setting 2022 when it comes to marijuana, but other states saw declines. We know that as we closed out the year. So they posed the question, how popular is is consuming marijuana in America. According to a federal study survey, it suggests that 52.5 million Americans aged 12 or older, or about 20% of that age group, reported using cannabis at least once in 2021. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration revealed the results for its 2021 national survey on drug use and health earlier this month. Um, Harnessing the power of data and evidence is critical to ensuring policies and programs have the greatest opportunity to achieve positive outcomes. HHS Assistant Secretary for Mental Health and Substance Abuse, Miriam E. Delphin. She's a leader of um, an organization there. So that's what she had to say regarding this data. Uh, so the data also showed that 61.2 million people or about 22% of the population used illicit drugs using the, during the survey period and marijuana represented the most popular substance. Nearly 2.5 young adults aged 18 to 25 reported using illicit drugs in the past year, while one out of three admitted to using marijuana. More than 9 million of people uh, of 12 or older abused opi- opiates and 46.3 million people in that age range met the criteria for having a substance abuse problem. Uh, The majority of those people, 29.5 million, were classified as having alcohol abuse disorder. What sales data says, Connecticut is gearing up to open up its recreational cannabis industry this week with sales for those aged 21 or older starting Tuesday, January 10th. The Nutmeg State is about to start on a journey nearly 20 other states and the District of Columbia have already begun. But some states found out in 2022 the path towards mar- marijuana trail isn't without its challenges. In some states like Illinois, the cannabis industry is thriving. Illinois saw a record high of more than $1.5 billion in legal marijuana sales in 2022, with December making its strongest sales month ever. The $1.55 billion the state brought in was more than 12% higher than 2021 and 131% higher than 2020, the Illinois Department of Financial Professional Regulation said. Uh, But there are signs of growth is slowing or even shrinking in other states. Of course, cannabis sales decreased 2.8% in November from October, according to sales data collected by 11 states in the data analytics from BDSA. While states like Illinois saw growth, Maryland and Pennsylvania states with medical-only cannabis industries saw sales drop from 13 to 6.9% respectively year over year. So while there is clearly a lot of money made in cannabis, as Illinois can attest, growing sales isn't such a sure thing in the cannabis industry. The movement toward for federal legalization, part of the beauty of the American legal system is that it can be used to fulcrum to change laws when Congress is too slow to act. School debt, desegregation, gay marriage, and the right to have an abortion were all laws that were a result of Supreme Court rulings. A lawsuit filed against Governor um, Oregon Governor Kate Brown could help alleviate federal shipping laws that make interstate cannabis commerce illegal, according to MJ Biz Daily. The lawsuit filed by Jefferson Packing House, a licensed distribution company in the state, is challenging a state law that prohibits operators licensed by the state from shipping marijuana across state lines in the grounds that such ban is unconstitutional. While there is support to move in the state, uh, other states would also have to change their laws in order to accept products shipped from Oregon. We believe it is likely that a federal court will treat marijuana like hazelnuts and invalidate state laws prohibiting the expert of marijuana, notwithstanding the fact that it is illegal under federal law, the plaintiff lawyer said in a letter according to MJ Biz Daily. So I think at first blush, um, I I just throughout the years of being in cannabis, I'm not a fan of when they try to conflate, you know, cannabis with other drug use. And they also like to to say cannabis, cannabis, and then also alcohol and other things. And they try to lump it all together in this data. So you can get really, really fuzzy with the numbers there. But ultimately, they're they're trying to focus on sales data and see and put that popularity on that. So, and I think uh, what's most interesting here is that they really talk about you know, the, the woes in legalization, but push that people can push for legalization outside of that. So with citing their Supreme Court rulings. Um, so it's interesting to see, you know, this kind of data come in, because it is in the millions, 29.5 million people. So they had a survey quite a bit. But of course, surveys in, in general, um, can be skewed either way. So sometimes it's, it's interesting hearing their take on it.
1: I think it's really interesting uh, the way the medical uh market is losing money there. The states that are uh, medical only, they're the only ones that are losing money overall.
0: Right. I mean, are are they losing money or are they just not gaining as much?
1: I think they're well they're they're adjacent to quote unquote legal states number 1 and you could only imagine the trap going crazy if you only well, have uh, Yes, and at the
0: same at the same time too with 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 the medical frameworks is it typically in a lot of those states is a more restrictive type of framework, and so it only allows for a smaller amount of a customer base as opposed to these other markets
2: well, it just depends on the patients right and and that's kind of the driving force but, but every
0: everyone's a patient everyone's a patient, all use is medical use Simone. Uh,
2: i mean respect respect my brother Agreed. but but I mean on paper, that's how the state tracks it I'm saying, but I agree with you, yeah respectfully respectfully
0: that was good thank you so much susie it's great to have you on board with us Likewise,
7: thanks. For yes
0: having me. yes we gotta we gotta run this yeah, quick come. commercial real quick and we're gonna get right back to you
7: at true classic og we live by one motto stay true we stay true to our legacy cut of true og that's always fresh piney gassy and delicious We represent the spirit and hustle and diversity of our great city of angels, and we stay true to the spirit of this plant, doing everything in-house to ensure that you get the highest quality and consistency with every batch. And that's what made us LA's favorite OG. True classic OG. Stay true, Los Angeles.
0: I mean, Rico, I think that that last study, I think, you know what it ultimately proves, you guys? Just nothing more than crossfade for the win.
5: Yes.
0: (laughs) Always. All right. Well, thank you all so much, everyone. Thank you all for getting high at 9 with us every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. And big shout out to our audience and supporters for tuning in daily and listening to the insanity that is the developing cannabis industry and all of its fascinating players. Thank you to all of our haters for always thinking of us and talking about us because we have the most immaculate pieces of property in your head that we pay zero on every single day. Thank you to our sponsors, True Classic, LAXCC, Wizard Trees. And DNA Genetics for helping us keeping everything rolling. And thank you to our correspondents for being absolutely amazing today. We got through all seven of everybody. And thank you for Cannabis for giving us a reason to do this. Thank you to Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, and Zaza Simone holding us down in Clubhouse. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. It's America's number one daily cannabis news show.